Mteto Nyati is no stranger to playing ball at the highest levels in Africa's corporate scene. His resume is pretty impressive. Studying at Yale, executive posts and directorships at companies like IBM, Enablus, and Blue Label to name some, and even being MD of Microsoft South Africa for several years makes him anything but your average corporate animal. In his current role as CEO of the MTN Group, Mteto has continued to bullishly challenge the status quo and lend his unique brand of change-making to a mobile telecoms business that is ripe for disruption. This is African Tech Conversations. You are indeed the Group Chief Enterprise Officer at uh, MTN, is that correct? That is correct, yes. Uh, I joined MTN last year in October under this role called Group Chief Enterprise Officer. My, my role really, it is more about helping MTN to chart a new way of making money going forward. And when looking at the current revenue streams of MTN, those are declining, the voice revenue is declining, the data prices are coming down. We need to find other ways of making money as a company. And we feel that we can add a lot of contribution in helping companies, you know, businesses, to leverage technology as they grow across the continent. And that's my job. I'm going to come back to that because I'm going to ask you to unpack that. But before we do that, just a little background. I understand you you were born in Mtata in the Eastern Cape. I'll start with a question that might get you thinking about your days as a youngster. What would the 10-year-old version of yourself think of what you've made of your life so far? The 10-year-old version of myself, uh, at that time, uh, the, the young man was a little bit confused. He did not have clear view of where he needed to be. So he would be pleasantly surprised. He'd be quite impressed. Yeah, he'll be happy. He'll be happy with this version of me. And what would you like to tell him if you could? I would like to tell him that he must not, uh, you know, he must continue to play around, you know, and, and, and explore as much as possible. He must continue to be a kid. Because you know what? At the end of the day, uh, later on in life, you, you are able to pick up the right path and you can end up in the right places. Was he a serious child? It almost, uh, I almost sense that he maybe was a serious child and perhaps had expectations of himself that clearly you've surpassed? Uh, look, I'm a, I'm a firstborn. Being a firstborn, it comes with some huge amount of responsibility. And you end up with some of the parents, you know, uh, their own expectations of things. I ended up being a little bit more serious, I would say, than an average uh, kid of my age. Let's talk from that sort of 10-year-old state. I mean, you grew up in, in the Eastern Cape. At that time, I'm sure Mtata certainly then was certainly just a village, I'm sure. Yeah. Look, I come from a village, so I'm not even coming from the city. The, the, the village where I come from is called Dabasin, so it's something that is not even on the map. So Mtata was the closest thing. Google had to find some way to put you. <laughs> exactly. You cannot find where I come from. I'm hoping that that nondescript little town, little village had a school. Uh, you obviously had to complete some sort of primary education and then high school. Talk us through that journey and um, through diversity maybe. Look, uh, I come, my, both of my parents are teachers. So where we ended up in that particular village because my parents went there to establish a school. So we come from a, a family which goes from one place to the next establishing schools. So my father, in his lifetime, has probably uh, established about six or seven schools. So I come from an, a, a family which values education. So 
growing up, it's one of the things that was like a, a non-negotiable for us. You know, attending school, being focused on you know spending some time, you know, and 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 doing. Something. My 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 mother was an entrepreneur. She had uh, a shop. So coming back from school, we had to take another shift, which is go behind the counter and serve customers. You know. But when I look back now, at that time, that helped me a lot in terms of understanding and serving customers. Do you remember feeling any pressure to go into a specific direction, even at that age, like coming up? What were the imputed aspirations on, a, on that young boy growing up in, in the Eastern Cape? lot of things. My, my father is somebody who, who had a clear view of what he had himself wanted to do, but he could not do. He wanted to become a doctor. So growing up, when I got, I remember when I was in grade 12, uh, I ended up representing South Africa globally. One, uh, one of the top students in math and science, I went to the UK. Coming from that, you know, going to the UK, it was very clear that I needed to, to, to become a doctor. But spending time there in the UK, being exposed to a number of careers there, it was very clear to me that being a doctor is not something that I should do. <laughs> so I came back from that uh, being very clear that I have to do a mechanical engineering. So they probably found out when you got home that things that the planet changed. That how did the shift happen in you and how did you let your parents know? How did they react? Uh, first of all, my, my dad, he was one of those people who's you know, very clear about what he needs and is forceful. I decided to keep quiet about this thing. He only found out in my first year of studies hmm, when he saw the results and there was no, nothing connected with medicine in terms of the subject that I had taken and everything to do with engineering. And he said, what is this engineering? He could not connect. In, in those days, we could not find uh, engineers in, you know, in the black community. So to him, he was thinking of an engineering like a mechanic, you know, the motor mechanic. That's what he thought. And, and to him, it was not something that his son should be doing. So he was very, very disappointed. <laughs> so you come back from the UK. This was obviously a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I imagine. It was called the International Science Olympiad. So you were selected out of a group of people who had applied to go. The grade 10 across the whole country used to write an exam uh, around those three areas. It was math, science, and I think general knowledge. So the top students, the top 10 students were then taken throughout South Africa and go and represent South Africa abroad. You know, And yeah, I was part of those 10 students. That's saying a lot given uh, the systematic sort of racialism in South Africa at the time. And I think it's saying a lot about your parents, about the level of commitment to the quality of education you were getting relative to, to say, white children who were getting the very best at the time. We were quite pleased with the result because uh, with being taught Bandu education, we were able to compete and actually beat a number of white students who had quality education. So you come back from that, uh, you're obviously exposed to a world that needs a, a lot more than just doctors, obviously. You obviously, your heart is set on uh, mechanical engineering. Where did you go to pursue that qualification? So I went to University of Natal, Durban, you know, and my dad took me there. He, all the way as he was driving me there, he kept reminding me that there in Natal University, they also have got a faculty of medicine. <laughs> so I could as well just go and enroll for medicine. Uh, in any case, to cut the long story short, I did not do that. I enrolled uh, for, for mechanical engineering. 
And that's where I started to have a relationship with a company that sponsored me throughout. There's a company called Afox, uh, African Oxygen. Uh, and based on my results of uh, after six months, they felt that uh, this is somebody that they could uh, support and they sponsored me throughout my studies, which was quite fortunate. One of the nicest feelings that I had was when I received uh, my school fees from university and they gave me back and I had to give them to my mother. You know, it was such a great, because I knew she needed that money. So many other kids behind me, she needed it. Essentially turning you into a professional student. Indirectly, your first corporate gig, really. <laughs> I would say that was, it was my first corporate gig. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you to give me some highlights of your corporate career up until now. I mean, MTN, the most recent, obviously. Along with telling us some of the highlights of your corporate career, please give me a sense of what sort of attributes makes, makes one suited to enjoying a career like you've had. The key things that uh, make... Uh, people to become successful in the corporate world. Uh, I learned that the hard way, though. You have to be a team player. You come all the way in school, you are able to become successful all by your own. But immediately you get to the world of work, the rules change. If you want to go far, you have to be able to work with others. And so that I learned the hard way. The second thing is you need to be able to ask for help. A lot of us, you know, we think that asking for help is just a sign of weakness. And I can tell you, uh, this is something that, uh, you know, if I would encourage people, they need to shout and ask for help early. Ask for uh, help early. I would say the third thing about the corporate world is let's make sure that you surround yourself with people that can support you. Have an executive sponsor. Have a mentor. Those are people who can guide you because there is so much complexity in this thing. You need to leverage their knowledge and their experiences. So those are some of the things that I would say people should, should look at and making sure that you embrace those as you enter the corporate world. So these lessons I imagine you've learned uh, over the course of your, your career over time. Name some of the places you learned what you've just talked about. My first job was with Afrox, of course. I had to go and work for Afrox. I had a commitment to work for them for at least four years. And one of my first managers there, his name was Neil Greenfield. He's somebody who, even up to today, I think of him because he, had, he made such, such an impact. Here you are, you're getting in an environment where they are not used to black people at all. You know, in fact, you are, one of the, you are the first black professional to be in, in the surroundings. And you kind of feel out. You know, you're not part of the way of doing things. He's one of those people who reached out and brought me in. He challenged me in terms of the kind of work. He gave me some of the most complex projects. At that time, I wasn't so sure whether this is a good thing, but I liked the fact that I was, at least I was being involved in some of the key projects. But when I look back now, the kind of discipline that he showed me, the, the caring, uh, it's something even up the way I lead now. I, I go out and seek people who are different from me. Uh, and that's very important. Some people are, are not vocal. You go and find out what those people think. Some people are different from you in terms of color, in terms of gender, in terms of all of that. That's the stuff that I learned from, from this gentleman. He did not know me from a bar of soap, but he decided to embrace me and engage me and help me 
start a great career. That was at Afrox. And then I moved to IBM. I would say the gentleman that made a huge impact for me at IBM is a U.S. vice president of IBM. His name was Mark Laudenbach, who, sitting all the way in the U.S., managing multiple countries, somehow noticed me sitting in South Africa doing a role here. Through some of the work that he did, he exposed me, and he's the person who ended up enrolling me at Yale University. And I ended up being named a Yale Fellow in 2000, and I think it was 2005. And it's largely because of his effort. And that program changed my life. Because coming out of that program, I was able to say, how do you marry the profit objective of a company with the social responsibility to make sure that you are in a company doing a good business whilst you are doing good? And, and that is what that Yale program managed to instill in me. And when I look at the work that I ended up doing when I was at Microsoft as a CEO of Microsoft in South Africa, that whole six years that I was there, the driver, try and make Microsoft to be locally relevant. The things that we did to try, and in fact, we close to 12,000 unemployed graduates uh, that we trained and helped those graduates to find employment. The fact that we were supporting many, many startup companies, all of that work was largely informed by what I picked up at Yale. You know? So for me, Again, he's the gentleman that you know really shaped my life. Even today, the kind of things that I'm doing are still shaped by, by, by the influence of Yale University. So let's talk about what it is you do today. You started with a, a brief description of what it means to be a chief enterprise officer. Certainly not a common title in, in corporate South Africa. What does a chief enterprise officer do? Maybe let me just make it this very simple. Uh, if you're looking at, uh, at the business... Uh, if you are selling stuff, you can sell things to consumers or you can sell things to businesses. So if you're looking at the customers of MTN, you and me are consumers. So that's where MTN has been focusing on over the last 20 years. There's not been too much focus on selling to businesses. So my job is to help establish and create a revenue stream coming out of selling to companies large and small, you know, starting from a one-man shop all the way up to the largest enterprise. We need to be providing and helping those companies to grow, you know, through leveraging of, of technology. So that's really what my job is. So I am, I would say, the CEO of MTN Business versus being the CEO of MTN Consumer. How important is it that an end user like me, who is both an entrepreneur and a direct consumer you've been servicing for many years, how important is it to someone like me that I understand that this is now your focus, this is now something MTN is taking seriously? Most important is for me to understand your needs. You know, you, you can try and understand me, but, you know, I think for me, to be relevant to you, I need to understand what are the things that you need. And if you look at almost all companies, we believe as MTN, all, almost all companies want to grow. The small companies operating from a little location or a township, you want to go and expand to the whole of Gauteng, the whole of South Africa. You know, people want to expand their businesses. The, the big businesses that are operating in South Africa, they want to expand geographically. They move into other countries. You know. 
we as MTN, we want to be the enabler of that growth. So when it comes to being a small uh, an, an entrepreneur, you want to establish your presence on the internet so that you can be found by your customers. We want to help you to, to have that internet presence, for example. Okay, that's really clarifying it for me now. So what sort of team do you assemble in order to achieve those aims in terms of one, mentorship, two, in terms of a team that's got the technical ability to deliver on what you've just said, and three, who do you need to cooperate with in your existing business in order to make this happen? If you look at uh, the composition of my team, uh, it's a reflection of our, I would say, our priorities. One is, for example, the people. I need to have somebody who's helping me to identify the best people that are out there in the market that can join our organization. So from an HR perspective, I need to have an HR partner. It's a partner of mine who's going to be helping me. Do I have the right leader in South Africa? Do I have the right leader in Nigeria? Do I have the right leader in all of the countries? So the choice of those leaders is something that I sit down with my HR partner. We map out what are the competencies that are required for someone to be leading my business in South Africa. And then when, once we agree, and then we kind of go and recruit. So we've got a leader like that. We also got, you remember I said, we need to understand the needs of our customers. Once we understand those needs, we find that maybe we do not have a product that talks to those needs. So what we then need to do is to create products that are addressing the needs of our customers. So we've got somebody who, whose job it is to deliver or to create products and services that address the, the full spectrum of our customer. We also then have to take those things and sell them. So we'll, I will have somebody responsible for sales. Think of it, how many small businesses do we have in South Africa? Many. So we can never have enough people internally that go to sell to those customers. So we need partners, people who can go and take our products and represent us and sell those products to the thousands or the millions of small businesses that are out there. So partnerships becomes key. Also, if you look at most of the large enterprises like the banks, you know, uh, insurance companies, those kind of companies, the partnerships have to be very, very strong between MTN and those companies. And sometimes you find that we do not have people that are operating at, uh, you know, at much higher levels. So we may need partnerships with companies like uh, consulting houses like Accenture, like Deloitte, you know, because those people are the ones that are operating at board levels in these companies. They are influencing. As they are influencing those companies, they need to be aware of how we can help those companies. So we then sell our value propositions to those companies, you know. So that's the kind of people that are around me almost every day. Because there's a constant um, mutual beneficiation in terms of insights, services, and, and products that you can do, and understanding what people need, trying to meet those services, communicating your understanding of those needs, and in turn, back and forth in that manner. That is correct. And by the way, I'm living a very, very important role. You know, we need to be known out there. People need to know that there is MTN business that is doing X, Y, Z. Sitting here with me is the communications, you know, my partner who's responsible for both PR and communications. You know, his job is it to help us to communicate our value proposition out there in the market. Fantastic. Certainly keeping tabs on us. Uh <laughs> Uh, thankfully, nothing has had to, 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 to be censored. <laughs> 
no, no, I do, do I think anything will. But um, I want to come back to an interesting uh, shift in your career. Let me just take you back a little bit, and maybe you can explain it. You went from Afrox. You you have a background in mechanical engineer. IBM is your next step. Was that a pivot? Because I mean, you went from mechanical engineering to what to tech essentially. So I I, I went to uh, I, I did mechanical engineering. Uh, I went to work for Afrox for close to about seven years. Then I was when I was still at Afrox, I did MBA. And that was where I pivoted because then clearly I wanted to move in the leadership direction now, not just purely being technical. And and I moved from Afrox to a company called Nampec. And my role there at Nampec was consulting. Uh, I did what was called world-class manufacturing, where I was helping uh, Nampec to become globally competitive. Because during the time of sanctions, when those sanctions were lifted, one of the unintended consequences of lifting of those sanctions was now all of a sudden you ended up having competition, <laughs> which was not there in the past. Now companies like Nampec were facing competition, and these companies could lend products in South Africa at half the price that we could manufacture them. So we had to quickly help drive down the cost of our manufacturing. So that's the work that I was doing. It is through that work that... Uh, IBM became uh, aware of that work and invited me to come and work for them. And I said, no, why would I come and work for an IT? I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a mechanical. Why? I said, no, we are looking for people that have deep understanding of industries, people who understand the manufacturing space, the financial services, insurance. We've got enough people within IBM who understand IT, but most of those people cannot have a good conversation, cannot connect with the customers. You know, we want people who can connect with customers and talk the same language in manufacturing, in financial services. And then those people would can then take the needs and understanding of those customers, bring them back into IBM so that we can translate them into IT requirements. So that's how I ended up at IBM. They needed me. And of course, as I was doing my consulting work, I quickly found out that I needed to understand IT. So it was actually a very good marriage. I ended up learning a lot about IT. I ended up also delivering significant amount of value for them around manufacturing. It sounds like in key points in your career, there were people who identified your potential, identified some of the attributes that you mentioned that need to be in a person for whom you know, corporate can be a serious, it sounds, almost sounds like a passion, certainly, for someone like you. Do you have that eye for other people? I must say that uh, I think largely influenced by what has happened to me, and uh, this is what I do all the time. Uh, if you look at right now here at, uh, at MTN, I've got a lot of people that I'm mentoring internally. I've just been here nine months, a lot of people. But still, there are a lot of other people externally that, you know, I'm spending time with helping them, coaching them, guiding them, you know, mentoring. Because of my experience, that has helped me to be able to do the same thing for other people. So let's talk about this uh, David and Goliath, this popular narrative uh, around corporate that's sort of sweeping the world. And certainly uh, entrepreneurship it has this sort of rock star appeal. And corporate is usually depicted as a sort of dark, scary dude to be avoided at all costs and so how do you navigate um, those sort of stereotypes, given what you're trying to do? Look, uh, if you look at almost every role that I've taken in the corporate world, it's a change management role. 
have always introduced new things, you know. So what you find is that uh, some people are entrepreneurs, you know, go and start up a new company, but other people are entrepreneurs, you know. They are, within an established company, they are driving new thinking. I would say that I'm one of those new, of, of those people. I'm, I'm never comfortable with, with, uh, with the status quo. Uh, when I look, for example, at, at, uh, at Microsoft, I entered that environment. It was really, really in trouble. The company was not doing well at all. Turned that situation around. But for me, after six years of doing that, everything is working perfectly. It was boring. You know, I am not one of those people who I would say I maintain environment. I'm not a maintenance guy. You know, I develop things. I, so I wanted a new challenge, hence I left Microsoft. And which, for example, this is a big challenge for me. And, and that's exciting. You know, it reminds me of my early days at Microsoft. You know, when you wake up at 4 o'clock, like, the, the mind is going, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about that. You know, and, and that's the kind of energy that, that, uh, that's driving me right now. And so from an organizational behavioral point of view, that mindset doesn't often gel very well in companies that have done things a certain way for a very long time and, and succeeded quite like uh, MTN has done. One of the things that you need to have to be comfortable in this space that I've chosen for myself, you don't care about being popular. People may choose not to like you, and that's fine. You know, as long as you know that you're actually doing the right thing, and, and, and that's it for me. You know, and what drives me is, am I doing the right thing? Is this thing that I'm doing, is it good for our customers? Is it good for our company? Is it good for our people? And if it is, it may mean that uh, I'm making a few people uh, uncomfortable, so be it. And we don't have a lot of uh, time left with you. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know if your role permits you to dabble in the startup scene and if so, is it a public dabbling? If not, are there at least interest areas at a personal level in terms of what you see coming up in tech and innovation on the continent, around the world, wherever? It does. Uh, my role allows me to, to look at the startup uh, community. You know? And uh, one of the questions that I, I asked when I joined MTN was a very simple question, which says, if MTN were to cease to exist, tomorrow. What is it that people are going to miss? What will people miss if this company disappears tomorrow? And, and that's a very interesting question because, you know what, if you think deeply about it, they probably won't miss much because they can always go to the next available mobile operator and they continue with their lives. But that's not necessarily what we want. You know, we want people to miss us. So we, that means we need to do things that are so important to the people so that they can miss us. And what are those things? And so we've decided to focus really on three things. One is that geographic expansion thing that I spoke to you about, help companies as they expand geographically and become their partners. The second area is what I call economic inclusion. You know, there are so many, many people sitting in the townships, in the rural areas, and elsewhere that are still have not been touched, are not getting the benefits of this digital world that we're living in. And saying we can play an important role in bringing those people into this digital world so that they can either, from a financial inclusion, be part of that financial inclusion, or uh, be part of the healthcare, education. We can deliver education through digital means. That, to me, is another part, uh, a way of, of, of uh, economic inclusion. Healthcare. 
you know, many, many ways that we can touch people. And as we're saying as MTN, that is the space that we want to be in. You know, we want to transform the lives of people, you know, the, uh, more, more especially the underserved market. And then the last point is about you and me connecting with our government. You know, uh, you have a relationship with the city of Johannesburg, hmm? relationship with the city of Harare. Hmm? And each time you go and interact with the city, maybe you're trying to renew your license or pay taxes or rates. As you think about that experience, you don't become excited. Why? Because the experience is a terrible one. And we say, as MTN, we can actually transform that and make it... In fact, people do not even have to go physically to these places to go do things. And we're saying we are going to be playing a significant role in helping government and citizens to connect and improve those connections. You know, that's the place that we want to be in. We want to be in a place where we're transforming the lives of the people. That's economic inclusion. We also want to be in a place where we are helping transform, helping our enterprise, our customers to expand geographically. In order for us to get to that point, though, you know, this inclusion, this thing of, uh, of uh, government to citizen engagement, we need intellectual property, IP. And that IP comes from startups. These are the startup companies that they are coming up with all sorts of technologies that can help us improve. So what I'm doing now every day is to for, for forever looking for people that are operating in these three spaces that can help us either acquiring them or partnering with them. Is that a call to all the smart people listening to this podcast right now going, we want to hear from you? Uh, we've got other ways of finding these people. They can come, but of course, it is very difficult to, to address all of them at the same time. So we go to organizations like Oracle, like IBM, like Microsoft, who already have called communities of startup companies. And these are the people that typically... Uh, they look at these three things of ours and then they say, you know what, these five companies would believe that you need to go and talk to them. Okay, so they are filters. I, I, I do recommend, though, that you look into our listenership and certainly our Africans' uh, readership. There's a trend towards, and you've picked a very tough fight. What does MTN make of the trend towards free internet access? You know, ventures like Project Isizwe. Exciting from a consumer standpoint, but I'm wondering what kind of conversations you're having about that and how involved you are in delivering free internet, given how disruptive it's being to your traditional business, I think, in, in telecoms, how involved is MTN, for example, in that trend? I'm looking at government. I'm looking at social trends towards the adoption of tech and the internet use and democratizing that space. What are the sort of conversations you're having at MTN around those issues? You're asking a very difficult question. For example, if, if the, the, my way of continuing to exist, you are asking me to, to make that thing free. So, Basically, the thing that is supposed to keep me alive is the one who's saying I must make free. So it, it becomes a, a challenge because our business model is about I'm providing you with the connectivity, but at least you need to pay for it. You know? so, but what, what we have seen happening is that we partner with organizations that want to make that possible. You know? For example, some of the sites that are, that are education-related sites, we make them zero-rated in partnership with some organizations that, uh, you know, for example, Wikipedia, making Wikipedia zero-rated, that, that's a very, very important value to most students out there. So there are sites like that 
where as a company we have chosen to partner with organization and make them zero rated. And of course, there's the Internet of Things. How well is that going? The Internet of Things being a platform contributing to tech entrepreneurship as a place for the entrepreneurs you're looking to partner with, the startups you mentioned earlier. So this is uh, probably one of our first things that we are doing as MTN Business, where we're saying we want to promote local innovation. And we've built this platform of the Internet of Things. Running on top of that platform needs to be solutions that are locally relevant. And who are the best people? People who are closest to the problems. Hence, we have invited students, a lot of entrepreneurs, to, to say, you know, guys, in the agriculture space, in the fleet management space, in these, all of these spaces, in the security space, can you come up with solutions that can leverage this platform? If your solution is relevant, it's workable, as people pay and they're using your solution, we will have a revenue sharing model. And it is not going to just be limited to South Africa. It's going to be across all of the territories where MTN is operating. That, to me, is a very good statement coming from MTN because, you know, the thing that is going to help us solve the challenges of unemployment, especially youth unemployment in our country, is small business. And that effort, the work that we are doing there is contributing directly towards supporting small businesses. We'll end this conversation with where it began. I asked you what that little boy would think of who you are today. I think he'd be impressed. I do wonder, though, if the world he grew up in, in the context of at least corporate now, how different this world in corporate is to the world he came up in, in terms of the limitations based on skin color, based on ethnicity, based on you know where you're from. I'm talking about issues around affirmative action, black economic empowerment. Are we making progress in this space? Speak to me as a corporate giant that many will look up to. And I don't know, perhaps encourage, perhaps endorse, perhaps uh, rebuke. I don't know. We have chosen to end this thing. (laughs) I like challenges. (laughs) Okay, listen, I would say that we have not changed much. When I look at the, at my time, you know, as I was growing up versus where we are today, nothing much has changed. You know, politically we can go and vote for whoever we like, but uh, if, if you look at the corporate world, it's still dominated by special, uh, by specific race groups. I remember in my previous job at Microsoft, one of the things that I used to say there, when I'm looking at a, a manager or a leader, I can I can pick up what, what is it that you are thinking. What do you mean that you can pick up? No, I can, I can read your mind, talking nonsense. <laughs> I can read your mind because I, can, I look at your actions. For example, if I look at what kind of people have you employed? You had five opportunities to hire. What kind of people did you recruit? You will find that typically people have recruited people who are the same as themselves. Male, if this, the person who's recruiting is white, that person is likely to have recruited a white person. If the person is black, likely to be black. You know. So my point about this is that look at promotions. You know, Look at how they have promoted the salary increases of their people. It will reflect who they are. And these, to me, these are the problems. I'm talking, these are the things that I was dealing with only last year. You know, it's not like it was 20 years ago. So we still have these challenges. But I think, again, what I'm seeing is that the, the opportunities, at least they are there. We need to go grab them. We need, as black people, we need to be aware that things are not going to come easy. Accept that. Take that as a fact. 
things are not going to be easy. Okay, I'm accepting, so what is it that I need to do in order for me to stand out? Accept. If you are, you are surprised in a positive way, so that's great. But most of the time, you'll find that things are tough. And just accept that things are going to be like that. And then make your plan accordingly. That's how I would like to end this. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Baba Nyati. You've uh, lived up to your name. A lot of uh, strong will. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And, and we're grateful really to, to have such candid insights become part of the information space of our local ecosystem. And by local, I mean African, Pan-African. You have certainly put a brick in our foundation in that regard. Thank you very much. Andila, thank you so much for having me. As MTN, we really do appreciate this opportunity. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to African Tech.